The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. You have your Bibles. I invite you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you are new to the Christian faith, you may not understand some of this Christianese language that we use. You may not understand the phrase in the song that we just sang when we talk about Jesus being the Lamb of God. In John 1, chapter 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he declares this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And friends, this is a massive declaration. In this, John is referring to Jesus as the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for sin, which is why we can sing like we sing today. And this truth is what we commemorate when we take communion, or what we call the Lord's Supper, which we're going to partake of in just a moment. Passover, some of you are familiar with that, was a Jewish feast that was really, as John Bloom puts it, the Lord's Supper of the Old Testament. The Lord instituted Passover so that his people, namely the Israelites, would always remember and proclaim their redemption from Egypt. God brought them out of bondage from Egypt. So to show his sovereignty and to move Pharaoh to let the Israelites go from bondage, God sent ten different plagues, the last of which was the death of the firstborn. Now, I know this isn't the cute, cuddly God that some of you always picture. And God is loving, amen? God is compassionate, but he can be a God of wrath as well, okay? He's to be reverenced. So in this plague, the, the firstborn of every household died, but Israel was spared from wrath. Now, get this, not because they were guilt-free, because the Bible says that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So they weren't spared from this plague because they were guilt-free, but instead, because in obedience to the Lord, they sprinkled a sacrificial lamb's blood on the side and the tops of their doorpost. And then the lamb that was slain was roasted and eaten with unleavened bread. Now, if you are new to church you may be thinking about getting up and walking out right now, and you may say, man, what does all of this mean? Why would God ask them to do this? Well, this act foreshadowed or anticipated the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would come into the world, live a perfect life, die a sinner's death for us. The Lord's Supper, now fast forward in the New Testament, actually occurs during Passover. And Jesus takes the bread and he takes the cup. And we see these words as recorded in Luke 22 in verse 19. He writes, this is my body which is given for you. Now, this is not cannibalism. This is not literal. This is symbolic. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood 
So I don't want you to miss this before we get into the depths of this message. Jesus is letting his disciples know that he's ushering in a new covenant through his impending death. And it will be the ultimate fulfillment of Passover and Old Testament sacrifices. Hallelujah. As he will become and now is the sacrificial atonement for the sins of the people who would be connected to him by faith. That's incredible news. No better news exists than this. Do you see the connection though? The blood of the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, is applied to us through faith. And thus, we are now shielded from God's wrath. We avoid the wrath of God and spiritual death. Hallelujah. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's indicating that this is an ordinance that's to be continued into the future. So communion, let me just remind you, is to be a special time, a significant time, and a very weighty time. It should not be taken lightly. And often we just throw it in at the, the end of service. We're, you know, pressed for time, and I don't feel like we give it what it deserves. And so today I want to just devote this, this, the, the entire sermon and everything to preparing our hearts for communion. So for our scripture today, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. If you have your lyric sheet, you can go on the back, and it's actually printed on there for you. And by the way, we hope to have our projector up next week. So it has been delivered. Stand with me, if you would, for the reading of the Word of God. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, which is just full, by the way, of problems, I think we have this in the canon of Scripture to encourage pastors. Uh, you know, when their church doesn't seem to be all that, it's just really encouraging to, you know, when there's issues and things in the church, to go and to read 1 Corinthians. And you're like, oh, it's not so bad here in real life, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Just a quick point there that not everybody that comes to church is genuine. I don't know if you've ever known that, but verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have the house, houses to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I've received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread, some of the most sobering words here of Scripture, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Let's sink in for a moment. Let a person examine himself or herself. 
Then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Sharing a uh, meal with someone really has an, uh, an incredible, excuse me, significance. And that significance is not unique to our culture. That significance transcends time and culture. How many know that life is a little busy today? Amen? One of the values that my family tries to, to really keep and be consistent with is Family mealtime. How many of you still eat dinner as a family together? Anybody? Like four of you? Okay. We don't watch television during our meal. We don't have our phones out. We just spend time together because of this specialness that happens when we commune with food. Now, we joke in the church all the time about potlucks and foods. Food. If you have been in the, the church any time at all, not just this church, but any church, I found out one thing that can bring every denomination together. Food. Come on. Listen, it is, uh, that's actually not a bad thing in as much as we're not being gluttonous when we join together. But it's actually a very biblical thing to eat together as the people of God. Meals are actually a big part of the Bible, believe it or not. I thought I'd get some amens right here. And the early church made a practice of eating together. You may recall in Mark chapter 2 where the Pharisees are worked up about Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. You want to know why this was a big deal? Come on, Jesus, it's just a meal, right? Come on, Pharisees, I mean, it's just a meal. No, watch this. It was a big deal because eating together in that culture had incredible connotations that went way beyond food. Christian scholar Dr. Craig Keener writes that the, uh, about ancient Jews that they saw hospitality and the sharing of table fellowship as an intimate bond, initiating a covenant of friendship, often lifelong. It's powerful, isn't it? Sharing a meal with someone is an incredibly significant tradition that is not unique to our day and age. And so we call the commun communion the Lord's Supper because he initiated it. The emphasis on the Lord's. It's his supper. It's not ours. And what's interesting is this, is that the Lord Jesus Christ invites us to feast at his table. And when you understand what that means to the first century Jew, it ought to delight your heart to know that we get to partake and not just in communion, but we get to feast with the Lord every day on his presence. It's incredibly powerful. And so communion is this very weighty and special ordinance, and we need to take it very seriously. And so I want to just give you very quickly five principles that will help us better glorify God through this holy ordinance. By the way, uh, my first point is the longest, so don't 
let me get there and go, wow, we got, you know, four more after this. Uh, it's my first one's the longest. Number one, if we are going to take communion in a God-glorifying way, we have got to prioritize togetherness. We've got to prioritize togetherness. In verses 17 through 22, the phrase come together is used three times. I could have had a little uh, song here. How many of y'all heard that in my head when I said that? Come together. <laughs> Communion is supposed to be observed as a group of believers. All right? It is not meant to be an isolated experience, nor is the Christian life meant to be isolated. We talked about that just last week. Bible teacher David Pawson points out that in those days, the Lord's Supper was celebrated often as a full meal, and the bread and the wine being consumed was just a part of that larger meal. We see this clearly in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where we have all these thousands of new Christians that were just saved and Luke writes that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, we don't oppose our deacons or our pastors going to someone who may be unable to get to church, maybe an elderly person who is homebound or in the hospital, and, and, and to serve them communion. That's not wrong, but that is an exception, not the biblical norm. Communion is to be done in community. It's to be done with other believers. So that being said, it is not enough to be together physically. We've got to be together. To, we, our hearts have to be together. We have to be together spiritually. There has to be a unity among the people of God. It's not enough. And that's what, that's what Paul's writing about. The Corinthian church, they, they are together physically, but there's divisions among them. Now, here's what's interesting. To give you the context of when this was written, often in the first century, seating for public gatherings and even banquets would often be arranged according to rank. So you know who you were. You, know you knew your status based on the seat that you had. Get this. You may even be in a totally different room than the elite's that would be eating better food than you. You would even be served like secondary food. You'd be like canned ravioli for you, right? Can you imagine? That's how that first century worked in this culture. So some kind of separation like this seems to be occurring at Corinth because we know there's factions among the people, divisions. In the Corinthian church, we get the idea that there's a lack of compassion and togetherness one for another. I mean, this just blows my mind. Again, it just makes me feel so good about ministry. Some people are being gluttonous with the food. It's almost like they're being, bringing their picnic baskets with them. You know, they're bringing a big meal. They come in with their Starbucks and, you know, a pizza or whatever it is. And, and there's some people without who are just watching them eat and be gluttons in front of them while they're hungry. And then they're taking the Lord's Supper. And get this. Some of the quote-unquote believers there were getting drunk on the communion wine. Now, Bob, how much Welch's grape juice do you have to drink to make that happen? <laughs> right? Listen, isn't that crazy? They're getting drunk on the communion wine. Paul says, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? So the ones that had much were humiliating those who had little, and they were bringing judgment on themselves. 
The point is this, there needs to be a special togetherness when we take communion. In Jesus' priestly prayer found in John chapter 17, he prays that we all followers of Jesus would be one, just as he and the Father are one. The enemy loves to divide us, but God calls us to be one. And so communion, listen to me, should have a humbling effect on every one of us. Because in communion, we are reminded as we partake that we're at the Lord's table not because of merit in and of ourselves. There is no status. There is no rank. None of us have anything to bring to the table. So we all get there the same way. Less, you know, we need to keep that in mind lest we come with pride and think, well, why is she taking communion with me? Or think that I'm more deserving of taking it than someone else. No, friends. Communion has this leveling effect. The cross has this leveling effect. So to take communion in a God-glorifying way means to be reconciled with a brother or sister in Christ that you may have issue with. This is so important. So you want to take it in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? What do you do? Be reconciled to your brothers and sisters. They may not even be in this church, but it may be another brother or sister in Christ. Before you take the cup, you need to be reconciled. Don't take it with bitterness in your heart. Don't take it with pride in your heart, thinking that you're better than somebody else in the church. Just say today, Lord, humble my heart again. Remind me that I'm, you know, I might have been saved for 50 years, but remind me I'm only here every day because of the cross, not because of me. So we've got to have this togetherness. Number two, if we want to take communion in a worthy manner, God-glorifying way, we've got to consider Christ. And that phrase was on my mind from Hebrews of last week when the writer encourages the Hebrews, consider Jesus. In verses 23 through 26, we see that Jesus implores us, Paul's reminding us, us of this, that he, Jesus implores us to take the bread and the cup in what? In remembrance of him. You know, in Genesis, we find a familiar story of the flood and Noah's ark, a beautiful story where God's judgment comes upon the earth. And out of his mercy, he spares Noah and his family by way of this massive ark that you can now see in northern Kentucky, right? After the waters recede, God makes a covenant with Noah and the whole earth that he will never again destroy the earth by flood. And God does something incredible. He puts his rainbow in the sky as a sign of that covenant. Now, I know there's some people who have tried to, to rob that rainbow, but it's God's. You can't take it from him. It's him. Don't ever, don't ever think that, that we can take something from God. No matter what we say, no matter what we do, that stands for one thing, God's covenant-keeping promise. Amen? And I know this is on the Internet, and I'm happy about it. Now, I don't go around thinking all the time about the covenant. I don't wake up thinking about God's covenant with Noah in the earth, about not flooding the earth again. But every time I see a rainbow, I'm reminded of the mercy of God and his promise to never destroy the earth again by flood. And I, I feel this is, in a sense, how communion is for us. 
Communion is to be a time of remembrance where we very intentionally consider Jesus. The fact that we have life because of His sacrifice. The fact that we have this new covenant. And church, may we never get numb to the magnificence of this truth. I hope none of you ever go home saying, well, all Pastor Chris preaches about, it's gospel, 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 gospel. I'm in really good company because that's what Paul taught as well. That's the essence of the New Testament. It's actually of the whole Bible. It's gospel. So everything that we preach in the Scripture, if it's biblical preaching, moves us back to the gospel. So it may it never be common to us what Jesus did on our behalf. This sacrifice is good news to us. I'm reading a book called uh, Holiness right now by J.C. Ryle. And just yesterday I'm out in this chapter and he's talking about that Christians ought to only grow more, more fond as they get older in Christ of what he's done. Because we understand day by day more and more of what we have in Jesus because of his sacrifice. I want to read you a verse out of Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that verse. And verse 24 says, And are justified by His grace as a gift. It's the only reason. Justified means what? Just as if I've never sinned, it means that I have right standing with God. That's what it means. So that's, that comes by grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now verse 25, listen to this. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, propitiation is not a common word, but it has the idea of appeasement or satisfaction, especially towards God. Now listen to this. Because of our sin, we don't talk about this. Because of our sin, we are under the wrath of God apart from Jesus Christ. I know there are people who think, well, everybody's going to go to heaven and God's going to be nice to everybody. No. Apart from Jesus Christ, every one of us are under God's wrath. So what are we saved from? When, why do we need salvation? We talk about, well, we just want to go to heaven. And that's a glorious truth. But you know what we're ultimately saved from? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. But he says, but, but God who is, see, rich in mercy... He provided the only way that his wrath could be appeased and that we could be reconciled to him. What a merciful God. God the Son, Jesus Christ, came into this world in human flesh to be that perfect, to be that ultimate sacrifice for us. So by grace, through faith, I'll say it again, in Christ we're saved through the shed blood of Jesus. We get right standing with God and we are saved from the wrath to come. Hallelujah. And in communion and always, we need to consider Jesus. We ought to think every day. That's why I don't believe we can take this enough. I know there are churches that take it every week, and I miss that. I know the downside of that is it could just become ritualistic to us. But I, I love taking the Lord's Supper because it's a great intentional reminder of all of us together saying, hey, Jesus died for us. He became our substitute. He appeased the wrath of God for us. That's glorious news. Number three, when we take communion, we are to proclaim the gospel. Verse 26, for as long as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Just a couple comments here. 
The Lord's Supper, I don't believe, is to be taken in a dark, closed room. This is not a cultish thing. It's a time of celebration and commemoration. And it's a time of proclamation. The Lord's Supper, hear me very clearly, is for believers only. Okay, the partaking of it. Real followers of Jesus, genuine believers. But I think the New Testament is very clear. You can go just a few chapters over and in 1 Corinthians and see proof for this when Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. I believe that the New Testament is clear that non-believers or unbelievers are welcome also to be present in our worship gatherings. It's not mainly for them. The worship is, our, our gatherings are for the believer, but unbelievers, if you're here and you're not a believer yet, you're not a genuine follower of Jesus, I want you to know you're welcome here. And when we take the bread and the cup, here's what we're doing. When it's done correctly, we're proclaiming the gospel. And we should do so prayerfully, watch this, asking the Lord that if an unbeliever is in our midst, that God would cultivate their heart, that he would move them and draw him or her to himself and that they might respond in faith. And for that to happen, communion has to be done in the right way. And in that same verse, number four, we'll see if we're going to take this in a God-glorifying way that we've got to anticipate Christ's return as we're receiving this. Notice in verse 26 one more time, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes. Don't blow past that last part. He's coming again. In our recent series on the church, I preached an entire message on the imminent return of Christ. And if you missed it, it's available on iTunes or SoundCloud or website, so you can catch up there. But the thesis of that message is just simply that we should be living as the church in hopeful anticipation of Jesus coming. As Christians, we should wait with action. Communion serves as a reminder that he's coming again. How? It's because of this, we're thankful right now to partake in communion today because we're remembering what Christ has done. But we're also mindful of this, that there's coming a day when we will never practice this ordinance again. You know why? Because we won't have to remember them, him. You know why? Because we shall be with the Lord forever. That's tremendous news. So we, we remember, yes, we take communion now in obedience to God, but there's coming a day we won't have to do that any longer because we'll be with the Lord. So finally, if we're going to take communion in a God-glorifying way, we must do so with some self-examination. So examine ourselves is the final point. I'm going to read this again. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So before you eat and drink, what's he tell you to do? Examine yourself. Four. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here's what that means. You have two choices today, you and I. We have two choices. One, we just take the cup and the bread flippantly without thought. 
and we bring judgment then upon ourselves, or we take a moment and we judge ourselves. We don't like to talk about judgment. You know, we have, that's, that's what the media is telling, don't, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. And, and I get there's things we don't want to judge each other about. But as Christians, there is to be some judgment, especially self-judgment. We need to examine ourselves. Verse 30, here's why. He says, that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Thirty-one, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. What is the weakness and the illness and even death? You know what it is? It's mercy. It's actually mercy. It's discipline so that ultimately we won't be condemned. But I'd rather just, you know, I tell my kids all the time, if you just obeyed me, and life would be so much easier. I'm going to discipline you when you disobey because I love you. But it'd just be so much easier if you just obeyed. And I just tell you, brothers and sisters, your life would be so much easier. My life would be so much easier if we just judge ourselves and just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? If so, show me so I can confess it. Now, let me say this. You may hear that verse and go, I don't feel like I'm ever ready to take the Lord's Supper. Anybody just feel that? Yeah, I, I feel that way. That's not what Paul's wanting us to feel, though. None of us are ever worthy in and of ourselves of receiving communion. We're able to take communion again only because of the redemption we have in Christ. And there is forgiveness in Christ. There is love in Christ. And there's a right standing with God in Christ that he freely gives us. But how then do we take communion in a worthy manner? Well, number one, we confess our sins. But here's the kicker. We've also got to release our sins. I mean, remember when your children came up to you and they say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. And then five minutes later, what do they do? The same thing again. This is what we call playing church with big people, right? <laughs> Adults do this too with God. What do we say? Oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And we even get that, you know, Emotional cry, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, we know how to be real churchy. And we, we can even cry. We might even come to the altar. But in our hearts, we know we don't want to give that up. I had a, there's a man that came down for prayer at Eastside Assembly in Tucson when I was an associate pastor there. And he asked my pastor for this certain sin. He said, would you, uh, would you pray for me that I'd be able to quit this? And my pastor says, Nope. And he says, why not? He says, because you don't want to quit. And he looks at him and he goes, you're right. <laughs> so if we're going to receive forgiveness of our sins, if we're going to take communion in a worthy manner, we've got to be able to release our sins. Yes, he's willing to cleanse us, to clean us up and prepare our hearts to receive it. But you've got to be willing to release whatever you're holding on to. Okay, it's that simple. So we think, well, I, you know, I didn't get plastered last night, so I'm good. No. There's sins of omission. There's sins of commission. Whatever it is, sin is sin. We say this all the time. And I want to go back to this because I think it's one of the coddled sins in the church. And that's when we have factions among ourselves. So I would just humbly ask you, if you have a, uh, 
If you have aught with a brother or sister, especially in here, but really anywhere, you might need to send somebody a, a uh, text while we do some reflection in just a moment. Say, I'm sorry. I've held bitterness against you, and I don't want to get sick after this, so I, uh, I don't want to die today, so I'm, I'm going to. But in all seriousness, we need, we need to realize that this is one of the things that seems okay when things don't go our way in a church and we become complainers and grumblers, somebody says something or does something we don't like. And I have to fight this all the time as a pastor because I hear it's like complaint city. And it's not that bad in this church, honestly. It's better than any church I've been at. But it's, it's still weighs me down. And it is so hard not to get bitter from those things. I just sat today I just, and I said, Lord, just help me to remember that it's your applause I'm after, not man's. Not man's. You may have aught with somebody in this room. might even be me. I always picture when I say this, a, a long line waiting to get to me. Um, but I, I, would just, I would just encourage you in, in, with great seriousness, to whatever it is, get right with the Lord. If you can't, it'd be better to just let the cup pass. And we don't have a little camera. Um, we do have a live stream. So, but uh, we, we don't have a camera right on you looking for who... Um, who passes, who takes the cup, and who doesn't. That's, but if you can't take it, that's what I'm here for. That's what our leaders are here for. That's what your other brothers and sisters are here for. To say, hey, how can we help you get right with the Lord? Okay? So, in conclusion, communion is a symbol of what Christ has done for us. It's a reminder of what we have in Christ, and it's to be done reverently and with great humility. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.